Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a realm where reality intertwines with the inexplicable, where the boundaries of reason dissolve into the shadows of uncertainty. Welcome to the political twilight zone. I am your guide to this enigmatic labyrinth, where politics and power take on life of their own. In this dimension, the threads of truth weave a tapestry of intrigue, challenging our perception of the world we thought we knew. In this world, nothing is as it seems, and the truth lies buried beneath layers of deceit. Prepare to venture where reason meets the unexplained, and where the unexplained Hello, might just folks. be. Welcome back. Another weekend, and this is it a Memorial Day weekend? So I'm hoping you're enjoying yours. It's an important day that it seems to me like people have lost, probably not you guys, but a lot of people have lost the meaning of it. If you ask what Memorial Day is, I think there's a startling amount of people out there, particularly in millennial and Gen Z populations, that don't know what has anything to do with memorializing or remembering people that have passed and are wars and things to keep us free and advance the nation's interests and protect us. I don't think they know that. It's just another uh, day that they uh, get off. And uh, although with some of them, I don't know how they tell the difference between an extra day to be off when so many of them either aren't working or barely working. But anyway, uh, I know you guys out there know better than that. Many of you will be going to cemeteries and so forth across the country and uh, lay flowers out and spend some time remembering past relatives and the sacrifices that they made. Um, I know I'm doing some of that. And so, uh, you know, try and be of good cheer while you do it. It's it's a introspective time, but it's not exactly a sad time. Remember, the sacrifices that we have made in past generations uh, have led to, you know, vast increases, not only in the comfort of humanity, but its freedom and its ability to answer the questions for us in terms of how we keep ourselves free, how we move forward in our own hearts. And these are all important things that many people in our country have, uh, have placed everything on the line for. So it's, it's something that isn't necessarily sad, but it's good to spend a little time thinking about. It's, uh, I, have, I think of Arlington for some reason on these days, and probably many people do, and just that vast sea of crosses of people that have given so much, and so many of them were so young, so it's worth some time. But also, there's a, since there's a religious aspect to it this week, I, I was looking at some other notes I had, because there were two or three stories out, one in particular, this week about some of the climate change-related things that people have been doing. And one of them you may have heard about that, uh, I think it's in Minnesota, but a school district had decided to buy these electric buses, you know, the buses that are so favored by apparently uh, Kamala Harris, our vice president, who has managed to articulate that, which is quite a feat for her at some point. She was so excited about electric buses. Well, what they found was they're a little hard to work around because of all the needs, and then they found that they were uh, five times more expensive than regular school buses. My, what a surprise. Future... As the battery packs begin to wear out in them, they will be worth substantially less at the same age in terms of a percent of their value as a diesel or gasoline-powered school bus. How do we get to the point where things that just don't make any sense to do, at least right now, someday we might have electric school buses, they might be levitating along the road too, who knows? Uh, we want to work towards that technology, all these technologies to make things better, like electrical vehicles, hydrogen, whatever it is. But stop forcing things at absolutely no sense, that make absolutely no sense, 
and are beyond the capabilities of technology. And, and what, what forces people to do that? Well, a lot of us know the simple answer, and that is, of course, the desire to control everybody. And getting in control of a narrative like climate change or something like that essentially gets your beak into the whole idea of electrical or power generation in, in a complete form, which is an effort to control how things are made and how you use them and how you transport yourself. It's a complete control over everything. We control energy in some way. But there's beyond that. I mean, there's this religious component to it. So I was thinking about that. You know, I mean, religion in general starts out as people trying to make sense of the world around them so they can understand it and then and then understand what sort of universal things that they are able to latch on to. But for most people, it's beyond that. If you're in a true religion, it isn't just the world around you. Otherwise, you just stop when you decided that Thor was creating the, the thunder and uh, Ron was complete, you know, controlling the seas and Poseidon was controlling the seas, but in a different part of the world. That, if you're just trying to explain the environment, that would be the end of that. But people aren't really just interested in that. They, they're trying to go past that. They want to know something fundamental about why they're here. And what happens to them in this world? And does it affect something else beyond this world? And is there something beyond this world? And if so, what that might be? And how do we get to it? And is there a selection process that we have to go through to see if we get to it? Or is there some dividing lines, some gating that goes on after you leave this world to decide what next one you find yourself at? There's a similarity with, with all of these things. And, of course, climate change is just the latest substitution for what we would think of as true religion. It tries to take all the aspects of it to answer those questions for people that don't want religion, that don't want to subject themselves to a belief system that judges their actions in some ways, that has a moral imperative. So they substitute a moral imperative in their own philosophical or political, or in this case, political and sort of philosophical, because uh, it, it touches everything with climate change. And, you know, just like real religions have, they have their sacred texts, right? Just their sacred texts are their specified scientific reports and studies that are, of course, irrefutable evidence of what they believe. And anything that deviates from that is kept out of the holy canon. So at some point, we're not sure exactly where it happens. It seems to happen periodically in different places. There's a decision made about what's going to go into the acceptable canon for the climate change religion. What studies, what people, what positions, all of these things are now subject to scrutiny and inclusion into the essential sacred texts that they have. And if you look into it, there are people who have ideas about climate change that seem similar to what's out there, but with a few tweaks, they're not accepted. Something wrong with them. You have to adhere very strictly to it. This is typical of new religions, especially. People come up with a religion and they have a very strict idea about how it's supposed to be worshipped. So this is climate change in a nutshell, right? And they have to adhere to those principles and any deviation from those principles, no matter how many slights, how slight gets you cast out. And when you're an apostate being cast out in these circumstances, everything changes. 
you were a great guy, but you don't like one little thing, and kaboom, you're out, and not only out and ostracized, but you're attacked. You know, you you no longer are the same. So they also have an idea about that, that this is a moral imperative. This isn't just a scientific thing to them. Far beyond it. If it was, there'd be actual disputes about it. This is the idea that, that they're moral in some way, but without having to have any morality derived from a religious experience in the true sense, they take the religious experience and derive it from having a morality associated with their job to save everyone, rather you want saving in that way or not. And so this moral duty that they come across with, right? And what they want to do, of course, is adopting all of these different things. And by announcing and adopting these things, the people out there that are really vehement about it, these activists, really see themselves as prophets, spreading the message of impending doom and urging humanity to repent and change its ways, right? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? The really important thing to come out of that is think how self-important that is. Think how much self-aggrandizement goes into that. You're not just someone who is interested in it. You're not someone who just advocates for it because you think it's not a bad idea. You're a prophet. You're a special. You are someone who is out changing the world, and those who stand against you are wrong. <laughs> just Not just a little wrong, like we disagree, but scandalously wrong and have to be silenced. And so these prophets out there, there is a sense of self-importance in them that they get from this that they get really nowhere else. A true believer in, in a conventional religion has some self-importance because they feel that they're adhering to the doctrine. These people have done that too. They just are adhering to a different kind of doctrine to try and get that same impulse. I thought I'd play that bumper a little bit to remind us that on this Memorial Day, there's uh, a lot that has been done in this country. We so often focus on just this century, but of course there's the Civil War, there is the War of 1812, there's the Battle of New Orleans with uh, Andy Jackson. Uh, there's all sorts of things that have been key and pivotal, pivotal <laughs> things in our human history. And so uh, we should remember that uh, in this country, like I said, human history pivots on all these sorts of battles sometimes, uh, that we've had some, some close calls that uh, people had to reach down deep in the United States and uh, in our war fighters out there to make sure things uh, things came out the right way. And a lot of them just came out of their houses with their muskets or whatever they may have and uh, went and did their job. You wonder how much that would happen today. Uh, not much would be my guess. Of course, they want to take all their guns away from you, so that'll that'll stop that. Uh, but nevertheless, eh, it's something to remember that uh, history is long and involves sacrifice so many different places. Anyway, I was uh, looking here at a story because it occurred to me after discussing our little chat about climate change uh, as being the new religion or a new religion. I'm sure it's not the only one out there. I seem to be seeing some very strange ones pop up. The drag show religion is kind of interesting. Um, trans religionosity seems to be rising to its top, if you want to call it that. It has a lot of the same earmarks, sadly. Um, but uh, here was something that I thought was interesting. Was an examiner did a story this week about uh, how the AP, the Associated Press, you know, the Associated Press still supplies a lot of stories to newspapers and radio stations and 
TV stations and so forth around the country. Not like they used to, but still a lot. And so they get pre-written stories. Many times they just go on as written by the AP. Other times they get, you know, shuffled around a little bit and rewritten and uh, put on as it was their as a little spin to make it more local. But at the same time, they put a lot out there. It's a lot of content. Well, they haven't been doing super good financially for a while because a lot of people have, in fact, bailed on them, you know, over time because they were too expensive. And so they've decided to allow people to just give them money, you know, grant money. So they uh, received some grants, $8 million worth of grants from the uh, William and Flora Hewlett Foundation, Howard Hughes Medical Institute, uh, Quadrivium, I don't know if remember those, and of course, the Rockefeller Foundation and the Walton Family Foundation, uh, and $8 million to discuss and raise awareness about that climate change. Yeah, that's right, climate change. And so, oddly enough, uh, since that, they've managed to put out about 64 pretty big stories about uh, climate change and environmental calamities happening out there. And they've had, uh, let's see, the American... Uh, the story says that the Associated Press also used over 500 environmental extremism buzzwords in the stories. <laughs> well, you see the hand that's feeding you, you make sure it keeps feeding you, I guess. Um, the I, AP said it was going to hire 20 new environmental writers with the money to create a climate SWAT team to enhance the global understanding of climate change and its impact across the world. Uh Study that they came out on this that provided to, uh, let's see, uh, Secrets MRC. The term climate change itself appeared in a whopping 212 times. Warming and global warming appeared 140 times. Extremes, about 32 times. Disaster and climate disaster, 30 times. One day, and let's see, the end of the year, AP story was headlined, New Abnormal Climate Disaster. Damage down to $268 billion. <laughs> So they're buying the news, okay? The news is in trouble because no one advertises on it because not many people read it or look at it or listen to it as much. Um, radio stations, of course, like this one, uh, have a lot better audience because people listen to them. A lot of them, they don't trust anything they say, so their audience has gone down. With the drop in advertising, then the people that are accumulating money from that, don't want to pay AP as much. So AP's been struggling, and some people have just cut their AP and went to other feeds. Uh, one of them they've gone to, sadly, is CNN has a news feed out there, which uh, explains a lot of what you see. Of course, the NBC stations have that news feed, which explains way too much about what you see. So this is a way to throw some money in there and get your way. Now, if they were doing better, they would probably still buy into this, but not in such a large way. This, someone said, I'm sure at some meeting, well, this is great. You know, it's just money. You know, as long as we write about this, we get money. And that's so far what they're doing. And, of course, they agree with it by and large anyway because that's just the way they are. And because if you are interested in journalism these days, about 90% of the time, you've already bought into this whole plethora of standard Bible of climate change, which includes a number of commandments that you must believe this, you must believe that, you got to be electricity for everything, nothing can run off fossil fuels, 
You have to make sure that people are living in smaller houses, that there's no longer any neighborhoods, that instead there's just large apartment complexes where everybody's crowded into, and that you want to destroy the suburbs by moving subsidized housing into them and large-scale apartment complexes because that's how you think the world is going to save itself is by crowding everybody into a test tube. So there's all of this. They're already on board with this. So now they get even more money for it. But you see how it how it slants what passes for news these days. That's not it's not news. These stories are not news. They're just stories about something they're interested in because they're being paid to be interested. They're a little interested anyway. But now that they're being paid to it, they're just absolutely they're beside themselves, right? So what does that do for the consumer out here? Well, the casual news consumer isn't checking to see if these stories are correct. It's all of a sudden, wow, this climate change is getting a lot worse. I guess I, you know. I guess I better buy an electric house, you know, because uh, I want to spend a lot more money heating and cooling it. Or I should put solar panels all over my uh, car outside. Maybe it'll help it uh, get better mileage. Or who knows what craziness you want to go into. And that's all part of the plan. So I thought that was very interesting. I mean, we're seeing the ability to purchase news in a way that really is different. It used to be you purchase news by buying a newspaper. right? We see... Good examples of that. Spanish-American War. There was a lot of the campaigning by the Hearst newspapers that probably pushed us towards that war. Uh, it used to be that you could see what a newspaper was. A lot of them had it in the title, you know, the Cincinnati Democrat or whatever. And, and newspapers were known as being either Republican or Democrat or something like that. And then they decided, oh, no, that's not right. We have to be completely unbiased. So they kept their beliefs exactly like they did. And just pretended not to be biased. Because that way they thought, well, that way we're not alienating anybody. We'll just take their money uh, and pretend like we're not choosing which stories we're going to write and the slant we put on them. Because after all, if they don't get their news any other way, how are they going to know the difference? Well, of course, that's changed now. You can still go out with a little bit of work. Still, who knows how long they'll be allowed, allowing you to do this. And check on stories and see them from a different perspective. And now... Maybe when they keep writing these things and they're not right or they're out of context or they're just plain some kind of polemaic, uh, you know it. That's very troubling for them. That's why newspapers and so forth don't really like the Internet. Think of the, think how it was before the Internet. You had a newspaper. I mean, you could say whatever you wanted. And especially if it was local, you'd have to really go around and try and figure it out about, well, is that true? Is that not true? Uh, if you wrote something national... And unless somebody was watching TV and the TV was different, you wouldn't know the difference there either. Now, sadly, they're not the arbiters of the news. And because they're not that, people aren't looking at them that hard. They shouldn't have been looking at that hard and believing them in the past. But what were you going to do? Now, if you spend a little time trying alternative news sites and seeing this from two or three directions, and I'd recommend that. If you're looking at a political story, it's always kind of interesting to go to, like, uh, the Politico or, you know, HuffPost or Vox or something like that, and then read the same story someplace that you actually trust and just to see how the manipulation goes. It's it's kind of interesting to see how the same event is recorded differently. It's sort of like the thing with witnesses. You know, this is one of the things you get two witnesses, uh, three witnesses rather. There's always a good one looking at a criminal act. And a lot of times you'll get varying descriptions or narratives of the event from three people watching the same thing just because people notice different things 
they are tuned into different things, and their own personal habits and their life make them notice other things more than others. With the newspapers and stuff now, unless you go out and, and try and look at different sources, you wouldn't know it at all because it's all in lockstep. I have to say, I my hat has always been off to the left for however they've managed to get this, as I said, lockstep on the news where the same terms, and I know you guys see this all the time, the same terms pop up almost within hours after they get used someplace. Everybody's using them. If you go on a talk show uh, and you're the liberal and conservatives ask you a question, the, the three channels or four channels that are asking the same question maybe in the same hour are getting the exact same answer from the uh, from the liberal point of view. Not analysis, the same answer, same terms, same words. It's pretty impressive. Kind of not good for us. Hi, folks. Kind of Thanks for holding on here a little bit. It's Rick Wagner here getting it right on the Rick Wagner Show here on KZZ and KGLN. I am your political Viking uh, attempting to be a disruptor to sail up the rivers of uh, political correctness and uh, just cause a little havoc here and there. You know, that's what needs to be done. They need to get to shake things up a little bit. Anyway, so I'm hoping you're enjoying your uh, Memorial Day weekend, as I'd said. But I was also going to say something else. Why we have a little time on the weekend and and maybe kick back a little bit from our jobs and this and that is let's take a little time thinking about what's going on. Now, I know that sounds like, well, yeah, I mean, we think about this all the time. But, you know, we become so reactive as a population. And this is across the board, frankly. Uh, the left, of course, is super reactive because they are, you know, the advocates of the new religion. And, uh, you know, it's certainly uh, the clean energy, climate change, and, uh, of course, the transgenderism, which is still somewhat elusive to me, how it became so prevalent. Is that the word we're looking for? Yeah, I think prevalent is about right. And so they react a lot more strongly. Ours is a more measured reaction. They would like to portray us as being the hysterical ones. I think that uh, observation from the outside uh, is pretty clear that that's not correct. But you know we're so hurried, and then we're constantly having our buttons pushed, as we like to say in the vernacular. It's more of an idiom. That sometimes it's hard to just sit and think about something. That's why I enjoy uh, listening to and reading Victor Davis Hanson and Douglas Murray and uh, Neil Ferguson and of a bunch of others that strike me as people who have actually sat a little while, maybe uh, in their garden with a notepad, and thought about these things and have put them in sort of perspective with their knowledge base of history and sometimes of religious movements and social movements and some sort of far-sightedness that some people possess more than others about where this where this lands. And of course, as we say here, a lot of this far-sightedness comes from understanding history because history teaches us where things are going to land. I, I don't understand when people resist the idea of real history. I mean, they try and rewrite it, even though it's clear that they're incorrect, because they want to show that the formula that they're purporting to try and make everybody adhere to actually works when history shows that it doesn't. But, you know, history is the same for all sorts of things. I mean, if I decide I'd like to see how far a cannonball will go, based on how much of a charge I put behind it, uh, I can put some mathematics there and come up with some pretty good figures. 
But the way I get the mathematical formulas is at some point I have to test the explosive power of the charge, understand the weight of the ball, and all these sorts of things. And this comes, from some extent, from, of course, experimentation. And the experimentation is, in fact, the history. Now, you can plug that experimentation into your formula and then be able to do these things without firing a different cannonball all day, every day. But at some point, there is an experiment in real life, in vivo, as we say in the scientific community. Not in the scientific community, but they would. In vivo means in life, and vitro means in outside of life, in test tube, petri dish, something like that. So most of the time, these theories and so forth have been tested in vivo, in real life. And can we then employ some sort of formula to see where they lead? Yeah, most of the time. And that's kind of what history boils down to. Like I've said before, it's like a cookbook. Combine these different ingredients, you uh, heat them up to a certain point, and you get a souffle, a cake, or a popcorn. And who knows? Well, you know because you understand the ingredients, how the preparation goes, and what the usual outcome is. People who don't like history don't like that because it tells them they're wrong. So they try and change the formula, even though changing the formula does not change the outcome. We know that. Some of them know that. A great many of them on the other side don't know that because they've never been taught anything about the formula or the ingredients. So they just are stumbling along each day thinking that they've invented everything that's passing through their little heads. It's like the old joke about, you know, how people, when they are using marijuana, and this is probably a 70s joke, you know, about the ideas that people have when they were using marijuana that they'd think they were just the most profound things in the world. You also run across that with people and drinking a little bit, too, and uh, sometimes... Some people just are convinced they're geniuses and just tell you that sort of thing all the time. And you're listening to them and you think, yeah, that's intuitively obvious. Most of the time it's intuitively obvious and wrong, uh, but I'm glad you're proud of it because, you know, being proud of yourself is now the most important thing. Not being good at something, not being right about something, just being proud about it. You know, your truth. Where does that idea about your truth extend, by the way? Does it extend to physics? Does it extend? Apparently, it does, actually. Uh, you can pretend that uh, the limits on certain power generation that we have in the United States that are, in fact, a product of physics uh, don't exist, that they are, in fact, sufficient to supply a certain amount of kilowatts or something for some wild idea that you have, even though the numerical calculation in physics, which is, for the most part, correct makes them not work so it's easier if you don't know it because it all seems great then you do your own calculation every person their own einstein right unfortunately many people that go into this their iq might be kind of the same as the temperature on a kind of a cool afternoon yeah but they think they're geniuses and you see this a lot in you know some millennials a lot of gen zers all these people that had the idea of self-esteem substituted for self-achievement. And achievement now is equated with liking yourself. That's a that's a pretty easy achievement. Now, there's some people out there that, that have problems with that. And, you know, they're, they have kind of low self-esteem and this and that. So we always wanted to keep people bucked up a little bit, right, to say, you know, come on, buddy, it's you know, you're better than that. We all know people that, that don't value themselves very well. But now we have a whole population that thinks they need to be perfect 
in your eyes and in everybody's eyes because they're already perfect in theirs. So they're angry if you don't think they know what they're talking about, even though it's obvious to the most jaded observer they don't. So that's the society we live in. So as you're sitting and thinking about these things that you see going on in society, try and project them out a bit and say, well, where's all this going? What's the what's the end game? I know I've asked that before. You know, we, we arrive at the conclusion with some that the end game is essentially the society crashing and being rebuilt by these people that imagine themselves to be geniuses. See, if you imagine yourself to be something greater than you are, something that you have had no evidence whatsoever, you just simply believe it because that's what you've been told, you're going to believe that you can recreate society all over the place easily because you're a genius and you have these ideas that no one else has had. Of course, people have been having them for 4,000 years in one form or another. You just don't know that. So because you've had them, you think, oh, man, no one's ever thought of this socialism thing before. Not the way I'm thinking about it. I can make this worth. So if we can just get this because society out of the way it exists now and myself and the fellow travelers out there that I know, we can just dive right in, boy, and just reassemble this thing like a tinker toy and make it work perfectly. Well, it's, of course, absurd. The problem we have as conservatives and people that have some historical, economic, and life experience understand that. Well, people don't. So that's why it's so hard to argue with them. They just come back with epithets and uh, personal insults and say, you know, well, you're just not progressive enough. Hmm. Depends what you mean by that. Progress actually entails, in most people's mind, because, see, progress can have a couple of definitions. If we say we progress down a road, that just means we move down the road. doesn't mean the road we're moving on, it gets better. It just means we're moving along it. Most of the idea of progressive ideas that progress in society is sort of tied to the idea that things will get better. Does it feel like things are getting better? Do you think progressive ideas, so they've been tried other places, have made anything better? How is that progress? Unless your idea of progress is to increase crime, misery, and things like that. Remember what Winston Churchill said. You know, the problem with capitalism is it has an uneven distribution of money. The problem with socialism, it has an even distribution of misery. That's what we're seeing in these places. So does that, does that feel like a good plan? Well, if you are uneducated enough in these things and you're, and you're just stuffed full of self-importance. You think that if you can just get this darn system out of the way that these foolish people are still clinging to that has all of these bad ideas and they come from these founding fathers, you know, these cisgendered dudes or, you know, some were powdered wigs. And I mean, they can't possibly have an irrelevance to, to me. I'm so much smarter. I have an iPhone. I mean, I'm a genius compared to, say, Alexander Hamilton. He didn't have an iPhone. He didn't have a TV. So look how smart I am. So when you're when you're dealing with that, it's hard to argue. So you have to think to yourself when you're sitting out in your garden thinking about these things. Okay, that's one group. You see their end game. It's frightening. It's uh, delusional. And it brings about a lot of chaos and ultimately misery. What about the people that probably do know? that these ideas don't lead to good things. 
there are probably several different subspecies in that group. One group just figures that they can turn it to their advantage if things go haywire. For whatever reason, they think they'll be in the right place to be able to ride the wave no matter what direction it goes. And so they think, well, in that case, I might as well get the wave going. It doesn't matter where it's going. I'm going to be on top of it because I have money. I have influence. I have power. Maybe all three. Maybe one or two of those. And I'll be able to ride the wave and not really be affected by all the people that are getting, you know, rolled underneath the wave as I ride it. And I'll maybe turn out better. And I'm bored uh, because I earned a lot of money or power or something. And this is sort of something to do. I know it's a terrible idea to think that some of this destruction is wrought by people. They're just trying to find something to do. And they are. And it, they want to find something to do. And they, they'd like a little bit of, you know, hand clap for what they're doing. So by doing it, then they turn to the first group we talked about. They don't have the sense that, you know, the Lord gave a fly. And they think they're doing great. Oh, yeah, you're helping us bring down the system. Yeah, you're wonderful. So that group gets that kind of admiration, and they have enough of one or two of these things we talked about to where they're not going to get harmed by it, or at least they imagine they won't get harmed by it, that they can avoid any consequences if it goes south. They'll just kind of surf the thing, right, get a lot of praise from one side. There'll be chaos, and maybe, and this is true, that if there's chaos, in the middle of that chaos, there is opportunity. And so it's that whole crossroads thing. You know, when people come to a crossroads, a lot of times uh, one direction leads or maybe three of the directions at a crossroads, <laughs> the one you're coming from, and a couple of the ones you are are bad for you. But one of them might, you know, might be bad for everybody else, but it still might be good for you. And you have so many resources that you're able to see the world blow up and you figure you're going to be able to navigate a way through it and probably either be in charge of the blowing up, in which case you'll be okay and maybe even end up more powerful. Or you'll survive it if it doesn't go very well because you have the resources to just not be affected by it all that much. And we hear that a lot. And this is, of course, one of the problems with Congress or any legislative body that is not subject, any powerful person, really, doesn't matter if they're in government or not, that is not subject to the policies and actions that they advocate. When you have a lot of people that have that going on in any positions of power or authority, you have a very bad situation as far as your country, nation, community goes. Because they don't feel the impact. And they, they pass ideas along that they may have for self-aggrandizement, to be popular with weird groups, to bring about some chaotic behavior that they think they can take advantage of. Or they just think like the first group we talked about, they're smarter than everybody, and even though this has always failed, they know how to do it better, so it'll work this time. I mean, I have a, I have kind of an anecdotal one here. Here in a town where I'm at, Grand Junction, the city council, a group of people who together cannot muster an IQ equal to Victor Davis Hanson's on a bad day, or certainly Jordan Peterson, anybody like that, decided that it would be a good idea to have electric scooters in the downtown area. In other words, there's these little places they've carved out where they park electric scooters. You can rent the scooter with an app, and it activates it, and you can zip around essentially six blocks. <laughs> now, you can go further than that, but, I mean, that's kind of the downtown area, seven or eight blocks maybe. 
And you can zip around on the other side streets, you know, yeah, a little bit of excitement to that. Well, they know they were a place to go. And once again, they've, they've seen this idea someplace. Because remember, low IQ individuals are very susceptible to mimicry. They see things and they want to mimic them. Minor birds are a little bit like that. They hear something and they say it again. They don't know what it means, but they think it must be cool. I'm reading the mind a bit of a mind bird, but nevertheless, I believe that we're talking about similarly structured uh, brain patterns between many people in our city councils and minor birds. So I look out the window of my office, and there's these people zipping all over the place on these. Most of them have never ridden one before. Uh, they're going a little fast, actually, for people who have never ridden them. And they're you know all over the place. And when you're done, apparently you just abandon it somewhere, and then someone else can come along and... Uh, get on it, and they can ride it to who knows where. And that you have to pay for this privilege, of course. So I think, what's the point? <laughs> what what What's going on? You know, the other thing about these things is these little scooters that you with the handlebars on them and you stand on them. Uh, how much shopping are you going to be doing in one of those? Uh, I've ridden those, and they're fun. Uh, but you can't carry anything, I guess, in a backpack. There you go. Outside of a backpack, you're not really, this is not really a shopping conveyance vehicle. So if you're hoping to in- increase downtown shopping and sales tax revenue, uh, I'm sure they're getting some revenue off the scooter rental. You know, but for the people that work downtown and have businesses, are they somehow benefiting from that? No, I don't think so. Uh, they're not exactly selling something extra to someone on a scooter. I guess a sandwich, maybe. I mean, there might be a little bit of that, but for the most part, not a probably not a big shopping item. You know, I mean, you just can't get much on it. But you can zip around, and you're supposed to not ride them on busy sidewalks. And this, and that, of course, that's silly. That's exactly what people are doing here and there. You're not supposed to ride skateboards on them. It doesn't seem to stop anybody. So you're going to get injuries. People are going to get run into. And of course, as I, I've just looked out my window a couple of times randomly. And when there were people riding them through the stop signs near where my office is, they're just zipping through the stop signs. Now, how long before someone runs one of them down? I don't know. Not too long would be my guess. It's just that simple. (laughs) I mean, I'm not living in a fool's paradise. That's what's going to happen. And So those are the kinds of ideas that come along. And, And why did those ideas come along? Because they saw it somewhere else. It's the mimicry. They, they mimic places that are bigger than them. They think that, well, if they did it in Portland, it must be okay to do here. And my little town is no different than anybody else's. It, you're very, very susceptible to mimicry from the part of not only elected officials, but unelected bureaucrats that go to endless amounts of uh, sort of, hmm, I, I, I would say, uh, junkets. Yeah, that junket's a good idea. We all talk about politicians with junkets. Well, unelected bureaucrats spend lots of times going to various conferences where they discuss things with one another to come up with new ideas and approaches to things. How many of those do you think actually help you? Almost none. How many of you come, that they go to, they come up with things like having scooters in your downtown? Probably more. So when you get these guys together, as I have said many times, and this is math, this is the mathematics section, is that when you put two low IQ individuals together and discussing something, it does not augment itself. It is a relationship that is not additive, right? So a half wit and another half wit does not equal 
a full wit. Two half wits discussing something usually will come up with a quarter wit idea. I mean, that's a hypothesis. I haven't been able to, haven't been able to really lay this out in a controlled experiment. I'm happy to say that. That's just observational. And it, and the ratio may not always apply, but seldom will two half wits, if ever, if I would guess it would be in random accident, sort of like two atoms colliding someplace, um, just randomly come up with an idea that is beyond each of them. The, so putting a whole bunch of them in a room, you can imagine, uh, talking to one another, come up with ideas. Good Lord. That's cataclysmic, isn't it? Happens all the time. So when you're sitting around, Thinking about how all these things factor in. Try to imagine what the end game is going to be looking like when you stir all of these wacky ideas in. And then you have to say, okay, that's assuming no one resists this. And how then is this result or series of scenarios you come up with, what's the best resistance for it? Well, we would like to think that it is electing people that are a little smarter and a little more dedicated to realistic ideas and interpretations of economics and history and policy, which is what should happen. But then you have to start thinking, where do we find these people? How do we get them funded? These are all very difficult questions to today's scenarios. So if we don't put some time in thinking about these things and we allow ourselves instead to be constantly reactive to the news... This is something I, I get a little concerned about because I find it in myself. We are so much more reactive to national politics now because that's what we're deluged with. 24-hour news services, uh, the Internet, and so forth. Very few of these things hold our interest for local situations, which influence us much faster and more directly every day than anything else. So the thing that it does to us is it makes us reactive each day in order to gather ratings, somebody is slamming their finger on the panic button about something, and it draws our attention. When our attention is drawn only to those things, it's drawn away from the other things closer to us sometimes. We look right past them. We don't see the trees because people keep pointing at the forest. And there's nothing wrong with knowing what's going on nationally, but if you start really watching the news and watching it critically except for certain things that happen, every day is not that much different than the other day. So the amount of time that can be devoted to that versus kind of your own local environment and trying to steer these questions we're we're raising, say, what can I do to stop this prediction that I see coming from my thought process? You have to start it locally. I just say give a try if you have some time and have a great Memorial Day weekend.